0: I'm Georgie Macon, Senior Editor of 3D MedNet. Welcome to this special extended episode of 3D Med Talks, focusing on the additive manufacturing response to COVID-19. In the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, innovators have found novel opportunities for applying 3D printed solutions to assist the international response to coronavirus. But how safe is this practice, and how feasible is it to introduce a 3D-printed device to a health system under pressure? From meeting PPE demands to designing novel approaches to unique challenges, the additive community has not been short of opportunity for collaboration and corroboration with multidisciplinary teams exploring options for aiding crises from local to international capacities. In this podcast, in collaboration with Women in 3D Printing, we invite a panel of experts from different disciplines across the medical 3D printing landscape to take a look at how the additive community has responded to coronavirus, where the limitations lie in integrating 3D printed devices into a health system under pressure, as well as what can be done by the wider 3D printing community to help overcome critical challenges posed by COVID-19 and other potential future health crises. So, without further ado, let's meet our panellists.
1: Hi, my name is Kadeen James. I am one of the founding partners of The Shield Collaborative. I'm also the UK lead for women in 3D printing, which is a worldwide platform in 80 countries across the globe, which looks to inspire and encourage and support more women and girls into careers in additive manufacturing. I'm also the Creative Technology Lead at Hobbs 3D. We're a digital foundry, an immersive VR, AR and rapid prototyping
2: studios. Hi, I'm Kate Hammer. I'm an Innovation Specialist. And right now I'm working at the heart of one of the nationwide emergency PPE campaigns as a volunteer. And I'm also building a small-scale and focused open innovation ecosystem under the umbrella of the Shield Collaborative. Uh, In the rest of my life, my other roles include uh, I'm an International Coaching Federation qualified coach and coach trainer, a semiotician, a fiction writer, do a bit of work in academia. I'm known as a black belt in creative problem solving. And I'm now in my third decade in startups.
3: Hi, I'm Maxine Chan. I'm an NHS doctor. Uh, I work in the specialty of obstetrics and gynaecology. And I'm also a PhD research fellow at Imperial College London, uh, doing a, a research project on tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. Um, and I'm also the director of Med Supply Drive UK, which is one of the campaigns within uh, Shield Collaborative. Uh, MedSupply Drive UK is a voluntary organisation led by doctors and medical students uh, with the aim of redistributing PPE from non-healthcare settings to frontline healthcare staff in the NHS, in care homes and in social care settings.
4: I'm Brigitte Devette. Uh, I am a Vice President of Materialise. And Materialise is a company that has been in 3D printing for 30 years now. It's our 30 year anniversary this year. Um, so we've been there from the start. Uh, and I am heading the uh, division uh, that de- brings solutions um, to the medical sector. Um, so the medical division. Um, I've been in the medical sector for a long time. I've always been in technology-oriented uh, companies and obviously at Materialise, uh, you know, with the, heading this division, um, this medical division, I can bring both my competences of, in the healthcare as well as the 3D printing aspects and the technology side of it um, together.
0: So to get started, Kadeen, it would be great to hear more about how your initiative, The Shield Collaborative, has utilised a UK-based network of 3D printers to aid the international response to COVID-19.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm one of the co-founders of The Shield Initiative um, and we have been working with a number of organisations. As the crisis um, continues with regards to the lack of PPE in the UK, um, we wanted to join forces and to support uh, the incredible campaigns that were already underway and look at ways that we could amplify as part of an ecosystem of innovators, of engineers, of additive manufacturing experts, startup communities, manufacturing communities that all came together Uh, at the start of this crisis to look at ways that we could use technology, 3D printing um, and additive manufacturing design solutions uh, in order to get PPE equipment out into into the front line. Um, So one of the key objectives was to deliver widespread awareness within the media and also within uh, the social landscape and to look at ways that we could uh, use the collective intelligence and network that we had in order to set up a number of uh, innovation hubs, uh, which would produce face visors, and equipment, gowns and scrubs and get them out into clinical settings up and down the country. And Brigitte, how has Materialise responded to COVID-19?
4: Yes, so at Materialise of course at the start of this crisis we've immediately thought about how can we leverage the competencies that we have um, to help in this crisis and contribute and of course uh, additive manufacturing has been a core part of this Um, But the other element of our core competence has been part of this is that we also leveraged our uh, clinical engineering competencies. And what I mean with that is, you know, obviously we need to design for 3D printing. So we have engineering competencies, but what we at Materials are particularly proud of is that we always start from a deep understanding of the clinical needs. Um, to come up with any type of solutions. Uh, so we've been reflecting on you know, how can we now leverage these core competencies. And we've done this in a number of ways. Uh, providing um, uh, solutions not only directly to patients, but also people that were afraid uh, about the virus uh, and contamination through the virus. I want to give two particular examples um, to illustrate the range of solutions that we've brought. The first one is um, uh, that at the very start of this crisis, we have designed door handles, essentially a very simple design of a tool that you can attach to your door. Handles um, that will allow you to open the door in an easier way not using your hands because we all want to avoid that We touch everything with our hands um, So we come, we came up with a very simple design Actually starting again from that need understanding the needs, you know of the user in this crisis and actually in this particular example We started from the need that we had as a company to protect our employees at the company Because we wanted to make sure that you know they we, we were keeping them safe So we were coming up with this door handle that we then had designed but then also published and we've made the file available to people around the world um, and this has gone viral. A lot of people have actually then started to 3D print um, this door handle uh, and hopefully it has helped um, at least a little bit um, uh, to to prevent um, uh, further spreading of the virus. So that's one example. There's another example that we are particularly proud of that touches patients directly. Um, and that is a sort of mask, ventilation mask, um, that we have uh, designed. Again, starting from our clinical engineering competencies, so really understanding deeply what the medical needs in this case is. Because you might remember in the beginning of this crisis, in a lot of regions, um, you know, people were talking about a shortage of ventilators um, for patients that were degenerating and getting worse. Um, uh, but also, uh, you know, for patients that weren't that bad yet, uh, people were looking, physicians and hospitals were looking for solutions for those patients. So we have um, been sitting down with um, clinicians, experts of the respiratory field to understand what could help in this situation. And we have come up with an innovative design uh, of a what we call in a non-invasive peep mask, in essence, a ventilation mask that helps the patient to get positive positive pressure on their lungs to keep those lungs open um, and and therefore help them, well, get the necessary oxygen or clear the CO2 out of their airways uh, in a faster way. Um, rather than, so, and use a solution that can be used on patients Um, When they have breathing difficulties uh, before they even get to a ventilator. So hopefully, you know without um, You know reducing the need for those so that mask um, That nip mask uh, is out in the market now you being used on patients and we sincerely hope that we can make a contribution um, Through, uh, you know, those masks on many patients around the world uh, as well so those are just a couple of uh, examples and of course with the additive manufacturing Competencies that we have and the infrastructure that we have we've produced many different components components, cells, tubes, et Uh, like many other people have done as well. But I wanted to give you these two examples because I think we are particularly proud of those two.
0: So once you had the ideas and the designs and you had proved the concept that these devices worked, what were the crucial next steps and challenges that had to be overcome?
4: So I think as an industry um, in this crisis, I think we all faced, uh, we saw the the enormous possibilities uh, that additive manufacturing had. But I think as an industry, we were also facing the challenge Um, to essentially separate the good from the bad um, of what had been produced and designed uh, via additive uh, manufacturing. Um, So I think as an industry, the challenge that we all faced was to well, stick within the regulations uh, and comply with those and apply certified processes to come up with those, uh, you know, additively manufactured um, and 3D printed um, uh, products. Uh, Now, obviously, having been in the 3D printing business for 30 years uh, and from the start, actually also in the medical field, that is uh, something that we are very used to um and uh and uh, and certified processes are uh, you know our our very core um but obviously we were facing um as the whole industry also the challenge of when going out to find partners to work with us to upscale quickly and essentially also bring this to a number of regions in the world in an easier way we also had to make sure that you know we were finding partners um that used certified processes rather than well, just knowing something about additive manufacturing. So I think in this whole crisis, I think as an industry, um, that has certainly been a, ch- a challenge that we had to face uh, and we as materialized looking out for partners uh, were facing exactly um, the same uh, same challenge um, now the regulators around the world have made it relatively easy for everybody to comply uh, with the regulations um, so there's no reason to shortcut um, and uh, and there is all good reason uh, for still applying certified manufacturing processes uh, and medical processes uh, because at the end of the day we're still dealing with patients when we bring devices out to them. Um, And all that matters is the safety of those patients.
0: So Brigitte has touched lightly on performing the necessary checks to make sure that partners are following the necessary guidance and regulations. But what else is important to consider at this stage when testing and validating devices and equipment, Kate?
2: One of the most important things in PPE is these are items that medics and carers have on their hands, on their bodies. And so the devices must work for the people who are using them. One of the great advantages under the SHIELD umbrella is that the conversations could happen quite directly between medics who could user test prototypes and those who are developing them. Additionally, in any regulated environment, there is also another important user group. It's not necessarily the individual wearing the piece of personal protective equipment. It's the person in a hospital, for example, who is the procurement or the donation office lead who needs to say, okay, this is safe to use. And so two important sets of conversations had to be run on an ongoing basis to ensure that both kinds of people were happy that the items that were entering into the medical emergency situations were fit for purpose. Trying to do that from a standing start would not work without that conversation across disciplines.
1: And Kadeen? Um, I think that it also presented, you know, a number of challenges. But with that, there was also opportunities for innovation. And I think that we've seen uh, a number of incredible designs and open source data that has been made available um, as part of the startup and maker community and equally how um, additive manufacturing has been able to lend itself well uh, in terms of, you know, being, being able to design um, and produce things much more quicker um, through the adoption of, of rapid prototyping technologies, which has been um, used um, you know, to, to create visors and to produce equipment, not just in the UK, but across the globe.
2: One of the extraordinary stories of the additive manufacturing uh, contribution to the pandemic response is a story that that I only know second or third hand, but in the Czech Republic, 3D printers and a health minister met and worked, I believe, over only several days to devise a visor format, which was then tested, validated and certified in the Czech Republic and also released to the open source community. And the time scale on that rapid prototyping, validation, and open sharing, I think gave a lot of people a lot of confidence that it would be possible to harness the productive capabilities of a great many 3D printers across a very wide um, geographical spread. And that's a very different model than industrial manufacturing. In industrial manufacturing, we have a center of production and its distribution that is the wide net. In this additive manufacturing model, we have, in the case of the Czech Republic, a central hub of creation and then open wide sharing and elaboration and continued development. So it truly is a story that is about ideas and people connecting across borders. Thank you, Kate. So once the important
0: validation step has been achieved what is the next step for scaling up production of a 3D printed part?
2: To scale up a 3D printed part means two kinds of coordination at two different levels and again this is where I think we've seen some real excellence in SHIELD Collaborative. The first kind of coordination is around aligning on which design is actually going to be pursued for for testing and validation by the notified bodies and certification. And that coordination is achieved through a set of conversations. At the same time, at the level of the print farm, another kind of coordination is necessary because the human beings who are supervising the printing need to be able to do so in a way that is safe and respectful of their own health. And so it's about ensuring that people have a means to get to and from the location that doesn't require them to take public transport. It's about ensuring that in any location there is uh, safe social distancing practiced. And the last thing that anyone wants is for anyone to jeopardize their own health while they're on the front lines of the production side because the whole intervention is about preserving public health and stretching resources. And I've been really impressed by the ways in which people have combined efforts and um, pooled their intelligence, but also shared their schedules. This is literally a crisis. And whatever work any of us is seeking to undertake, we're still doing that work in a crisis with family demands, with health concerns, and in many cases, with um, the stopping of income. And so seeing how people are able to make the work work for them, I think, has been part of the achievement. Yes, I
0: agree with you there. And of course, safety at every stage of production has to be the most important consideration. So moving on to consider more of a clinical perspective, Maxine, what is important to consider when introducing a 3D printed device or innovative idea into a health system under pressure?
3: I think this is a really... Um, complex question and I gave it probably the most thought when I thought about how I should answer this. I have to emphasize at this point that I am not a 3D printer and up until about eight weeks ago I've actually had relatively uh, little experience in the field of additive manufacturing but I've been very very fortunate to have worked closely uh, with um, experts in this field and within MedSupply Drive UK, over the last eight weeks, um, we have partnered with the National 3D Printing Society to uh, essentially design and give a lot of feedback and input into a prototype for a face shield uh, that can be used um, by different healthcare professionals within the NHS and within care settings. So I think that there are five important considerations to take into account when scaling up an innovative idea into a health system under pressure. The first being that um, anything that we design, we have to be very cautious that it complies with government guidelines and government issued technical specifications. And I think that most of the um, 3D printers and the maker communities out there have really taken this into consideration And it's been really good that there have been technical specifications and that there have been guidelines issued by the government to sort of better um, guide and advise people in this field. Um, The second thing I think is really important is that anyone who is designing a product um, or coming up with an idea that they would like to uh, implement in a health system should really, really make a lot of effort to understand the end user's needs um, and make a lot of effort to get feedback from the end user. The end user being um, a broad range of healthcare workers and frontline staff who may be using the device. Um, For example, uh, this could be a a doctor in ITU but it could equally be a um, community care nurse who is working um, in, a, in a community-based setting, it could equally be um, a GP who is working in a clinic setting. And I think that it's really important when we're thinking about end user feedback, not to apply a blanket rule um, to healthcare worker, because actually by understanding the broad variety of environments that different carers and workers work in, you and getting the feedback from these different people you'll really get a sense of whether the product that you're making um, is going to be useful to all of them. So the third important consideration, I think, is to be very aware of um, a potential shortage of materials or resources that could at some point um, cause the bottleneck in the production process. I do think that with any innovative idea and any medical device, simplicity is key. Simplicity from a manufacturing process, but also simplicity in terms of um, how the end user would interact with the device and how the end user would um, assemble the device, uh, how, how they would take it apart and dispose of it. Or indeed, if it's a case of designing a device that is reusable and that can be disinfected, actually, how simple is it for the end user to really do that? And lastly... Although I think that it's extremely important um, to act promptly, especially when we're dealing with uh, such a rapidly evolving um, healthcare emergency, it's also really important to take the time to follow proper processes. And I think that not enough can be said of really investing time in trying to understand uh what the needs of the end user are and trying to understand the technical specifications and trying to understand the potential limitations that you might encounter uh when you are producing a device uh that needs to see um needs to last for the whole of the COVID 19 crisis by taking the time to actually consider these aspects properly at the beginning and implement proper processes Hopefully the end result is that um, whatever uh, idea is created and whatever device is made uh, will be able to benefit um, end users throughout the longevity of the healthcare emergency.
0: Brigitte, what do you think is especially important to consider when scaling up a 3D printed device into a health system under pressure?
4: So I actually think that the challenges uh, or the, the, the factors to consider when scaling up uh, in a system under pressure are exactly the same as we typically would consider. So I don't necessarily think that there's any difference, of course, in a system under pressure, you know, these factors to consider are under a microscope. Because you're just in a very particular setting where everything needs to go fast, and we need, you know, more of, you know, probably the solutions that we otherwise would have uh, designed and brought out. Um, so it, it, the effect is just enlarged, or the importance of it is just uh, enlarged. Um, so I, I do want to mention, you know, two in particular, um, you know, that have played, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Um, that again, we have, we always have to consider. Uh, but obviously were particularly well important uh, and still are uh, in this crisis. Um, and the first one is that um, the balance between speed and doing the right thing, because we all wanted to be fast because we were hitting this wall. We knew that our, um, well, our, our clinicians, our hospital systems, our healthcare systems we were going to run into trouble and we wanted to help them fast but at the same time, we had to make sure that we were still doing the right thing, really understanding what would be useful for People in that setting uh, and healthcare providers in that setting, understanding what their need uh, uh, is, rather than just coming with a, coming up with a solution. We still wanted to make sure that we were validating our solutions in the right way. We still wanted to make sure that we were registering our solutions in the different regions in the world. So, but we had to balance that obviously with the speed that was required, you know, while still doing the right thing. So, I think that is one of the factors, this balance that you always are looking for that was put under the microscope Um, and and again I think the regulators have done a great step in this uh, crisis to come up with uh, guidance uh, for the many people that wanted to engage uh, in this uh, during the last couple of weeks and months and that has tremendously helped Um, so that was fantastic. Uh, Now the second factor I do want to mention is uh, the importance of partnerships because you want to balance um, speed and doing the right thing, I, I absolutely think it's it's important and critical to consider how you can partner um, and the value of partnerships, you know, in um, you know these type of settings. Um, we, Partners are always important and partnerships, again, are always, you know, should be part of, you know, what we reflect on and and what we do. Uh, But I think in this crisis, it has particularly helped also many people to find partnerships um, and new ways of working together um, to be able to bring these solutions uh, out. So I think that was a particularly important factor, uh, you know, in this particular situation and will be at any point in time when we're trying to bring solutions out in a system under pressure where we need to be fast.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you there, Brigitte. I think it's been very encouraging and touching, really, that the wider 3D printing community has responded so rapidly and empathetically to local and international equipment shortages, for example. But I do think it's especially important to make sure that everyone is moderating their response to be safe, effective, and, as you say, behaving in the right way and adhering to the appropriate guidance and processes. As we look to the future, whether that's considering future waves of COVID-19 or even the future emergence of a different virus or infection, could the additive response be a system or strategy that health systems could rely on when next faced with a situation likely to cause a strain on public health resources?
2: One of the inspirations that uh, put the wind under my wings early in in the COVID crisis in Britain, was an illustration by an, an artist in Canada, and I, I'm afraid I don't know the name, but it's a picture of a mother and a child in an armchair surrounded at quite some distance by a circle of people, all dressed in the uniforms of key workers. And the mother is saying to the child, they're there so that we can be safe here. And I realized when I entered the SHIELD Collaborative, having already been active in a PPE campaign that was purchasing and dispatching direct to the front line, that in SHIELD Collaborative, we were doing something similar. We were bringing all of these professional disciplines around to be able to say to medics and carers, be safe there in the center with the patient who needs your attention and we will be here. Who were the we? Who are the we? I mean, it's engineers talking with logistics people, talking with fundraisers, talking with lawyers, and doing so with great integrity at high speed. We mustn't forget that. We must not forget the ways in which walls have tumbled down so that cooperation and collaboration at high speed with great professionalism Can happen. It's been a joy to behold and it would be such a sacrifice to lose the memory of that and lose sight of it. When I think about the crisis easing, I think about an emergency initiative like the one that I I spend most of my time with, shutting down by opening up. In other words, by learning from what we did by writing the recipes and the playbooks so that next time an infectious disease comes to assail us, everyone who wants to respond constructively can do so faster with greater confidence and I hope with less loneliness. The thing that I'm so aware of that makes the time that I put in so worthwhile has been how unisolated I feel as a person who has not stepped out of her home in nearly two full months. I have never in my two and a half decades living in this country felt less lonely than I feel during isolation. And that's because of the ways in which we've been able to work together. I want, the, I want the pathogen to go away, but I don't want to lose that feeling of collaboration.
0: Maxine, do you have anything you would like to add at this point?
3: Um, I think that a lot of lessons can be learned um, from mobilizing uh, communities of experts uh, from different disciplines and bringing these people together to a uh, forum where discussions can be held uh, with a common mission of protecting healthcare workers and protecting key workers uh, during a global pandemic and I think that um, certainly the lessons learnt from the challenges that are faced with designing uh, a product and designing a medical device, uh, potential limitations that um, that are encountered for example in terms of the ability to source uh, materials sustainably. These are all sort of very valuable lessons that I think will benefit um, any team of people who come together in the future um, who want to design uh, a strategy to uh, overcome a particular healthcare need um, in a future pandemic or in a, in a future epidemic. Certainly with the design of 3D printed face shields that have come forward during this COVID-19 crisis and um, I do think that all the thought and the care and the considerations that have gone into making these designs will be able to be applied or modified uh, for future pand- pandemics and future uses. Um, so I definitely think that this Although COVID-19 has been devastating and awful, it has also provided a very useful opportunity, I think, for all of these different experts from different sectors to come together and to design a solution to a challenge together.
1: Yeah, I think I echo those sentiments. I think it's been extraordinary seeing a kind of this ecosystem that's developed and all of these incredible people that have come together, um, to support the one cause. And I think, you know, what has come out of that and what, what we could do in terms of shaping better policies and healthcare um, procedures in the future, there is a really great opportunity for us to learn and also for us to think about how we can, you know, look at new ways of doing things in the future. So I'm, I'm really invested in how we can all Work together and, and bring together collective voices from across different industries and and uh, different disciplines in order to have an impact and 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 and, and make sure that um, we can really respond in a much quicker way and ensure that you know we value our healthcare professionals uh, and the um, support staff and the wider teams that. Um, you know, that we so took for granted, I think.
0: I really like the idea of bringing together different industries and different disciplines to impact the healthcare industry as a whole. It's something we see a lot with 3D printed surgical models, for example, where you really do utilise a wide and diverse skills base to get the best outcome. But it has been amazing really to see that stretched even further to include more people with totally different skill sets and experiences to make a real impact in reducing the strain caused by critical equipment shortages, for example. I think that leads us on really nicely to my next question, actually, Kate. What do you think people will have learned about 3D printing and the additive manufacturing community in the wake of the additive response to COVID-19?
2: I think ordinary people are excited and grateful to now be able to picture what a 3D printer can make. And I would love to believe that the way in which the additive manufacturing community and the design community more broadly have stepped up in the face of the COVID-19 threat, I would love to think that more parents and grandparents encourage their young people to gain the skills. In other words, that design and making are taken far more seriously on a par with the formal engineering skills that are associated with industrial scale manufacture. And I also hope that inside the additive manufacturing community, those of us who lack the technical skills but have some of the skills in communicating, connecting, organizing logistics, that we too are seen as useful. Because for people who go down an engineering education pathway, Lots of the stuff that people like me do is labeled as soft. And I don't mind it being called soft, but it's also really super useful.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I'm also, you know, thinking about how um, the additive manufacturing community um specifically Women in 3D Printing's global community uh, and how it's organized itself to support healthcare professionals and hospitals in responding to the shortage of of equipment uh, in what what are really very fragile supply chains all over the world. And I think initiatives popped up um, literally uh, across the globe um, most, most often on a local level. Here in the UK, um, it's just been extraordinary to, to witness um, and to be a part of.
0: Within the additive manufacturing community, though, what do you think the community may have learned in response to this crisis, Brigitte?
4: So as additive manufacturing community, obviously we know the advantages of additive manufacturing. So we didn't have to learn that in a crisis. But it actually did take a crisis for us to showcase to the world what additive manufacturing can do. Um, So I hope that we as a community have learned that we need to promote this better, also in normal times and not just in times of crisis. Um, So I really hope that for everybody that is a takeaway. Um, The second is for the additive manufacturing uh, industry, obviously again, we know about the flexibility of design that additive manufacturing 3D printing actually brings. Um, we, we know about that uh, but I hope uh, that the additive manufacturing co- uh, community will have gained in confidence to actually not only leverage the speed of uh, additive manufacturing and the fact that you can localize your production but also leverages this flexibility and leverages this to bring personalized solutions to patients in the world but also to people in the world uh, and use the technology for what is there uh, and make sure that everybody gets a solution that is right for him or her um, and have the confidence uh, and dare to go for mass personalization on the basis of additive manufacturing.
0: What about the medical community? What do you think medics may have learned about additive manufacturing following the additive response to COVID-19?
4: So to start with, I hope that the medical community and clinical community would have seen that we are not just technology freaks or nerds or whatever, but we are actually a very useful resource to use and not only in times of crisis, um, but to think about how we can uh, fulfill their needs um, and, and, and maybe fill a gap that they today still have. Um, so I seriously believe uh, that many people in that medical community will have seen that additive manufacturing with its speed, its flexibility, adaptability really has something to offer. Uh, and in addition to uh, what we uh, to those cri- those elements that additive manufacturing has to offer, I seriously hope that in this crisis um, people in the medical community has also seen that additive manufacturing is a way of becoming less dependent on global supply chains um, and uh, localizing production um, as, uh, in the you know, in your supply chains to make sure that you know when you need certain project products uh, you have them available. Um, rather than waiting on uh, a supply that is coming from a region uh, that at that point in time is not available to you.
0: Maxine, what do you think the medical community has learned about 3D printing? So I think
3: that um, probably one of the most striking discoveries for the medical community is that the additive manufacturing community even exists in the first place. I think as as clinicians and as medics, we're often... Um, Working within a it, within a bubble, within a sort of tightly defined bubble um, of sort of traditional uh, clinical um, traditional clinical environment, um, and it's been really inspiring. I think to see that the additive manufacturing community um, were so forthcoming and so willing and so enthusiastic to offer their creative solutions for help, and I think that. Um, the makers that I've encountered in the last few weeks um, have been incredibly resourceful and very, very knowledgeable. And I see them as being able to bridge a very um, useful gap between healthcare professionals, um, you know, i.e. the end users of the medical devices um, and the standard medical device manufacturing industry. And I think um, there is a much greater role four um, additive manufacturers um, going forward in the way that they collaborate with and work with uh, medical communities to address some of the challenges and the needs that they have. Just before we wrap up,
0: what skills will be required by the next generation of makers, regulators, clinicians and everyone else involved really to, in order to meet the next generation of health challenges with the next generation of technologies, Kate?
2: To move forward and to really consolidate the gains that have been made in this period on the positive side of how this country has experienced COVID-19, I think it's really important to celebrate the central role of curiosity. It's not enough to have the impulse to want to help without being curious about what the problem space actually consists of and also curious about how resources can be mobilized and deployed. So there's a a problem-solving appetite that I think really needs to suffuse people. And if we want the next generation to feel comfortable inhabiting a problem space with other people who are different to them, medics, engineers, designers, technologists, If we want that to be possible, I think we really need to rethink what skills we put at the top of our list in terms of education. Absolutely, speaking is important, but so is listening.
1: Yeah.
2: Absolutely, autonomy and clarity and willing to stand up and take a decision and make a commitment, all of those markers of autonomy are super important, but they are no- more important than the ability to collaborate. I think a lot of people are going to emerge from this crisis with a very different sense of interdependency. And I think that's a very healthy thing. And Maxine, what skills do you think those in the medical
0: space will need to develop for future unique challenges and opportunities?
3: I think that for the future generation of innovators and uh, clinicians and engineers, the most important thing is uh, communication, um, the most important thing is to put aside your egos or your fears or your, um, your ignorance, I guess, um, and to really step outside of um, the box that you're in, to really step outside of the, the industry that you're in and to step outside of the, your comfort zone to talk to people Um, across different disciplines to talk to people who've got different life experiences and who've got different uh, skills and different um, expertise and really it's those conversations um, and it's that open communication I think that will lead to um, innovations and design ideas that really do benefit uh, the general public and really do benefit um, healthcare workers.
0: Finally, Kadeen, what skills and attributes do you think the next generation will need?
1: Being adaptable, being resilient... Um, what does that mean to be resilient you know we've we've been thrown into a a global health pandemic which has had a massive impact on the world and it's just horrific what's happened how can we instill in our young people um, you know the skills and attributes needed in order to navigate uh, a really uncertain uh, world and Um, I think now more than ever, uh, we all need to be thinking about ways that uh, we can support uh, the, the next generation. Finally,
0: for those interested in finding out more about 3D printing and your initiatives specifically, where can our audience go to find out more, Kadeen?
1: I'd love for people to... Um, Follow what we're doing and follow our campaigns um, at the SHIELD Collaborative uh, website. Um, I'd also recommend that people check out the Women in 3D Printing uh, uh, platform. Um, which is at womenin3dprinting.com we have uh, a number of um, campaigns and opportunities um, for people to get involved with um, across the globe Um, so I would suggest um, everybody um, has a look at, at that. Brigitte?
4: So when it comes to finding out more about additive manufacturing and how to safely uh, design and produce devices with 3D printing, I think there's a lot of material uh, available online. Uh, So it's very easy uh, to find uh, these days. Um, So there's a wealth of information there. Um, There's also obviously a lot of uh, initiatives putting additive manufacturing partners um, together, uh, or stakeholders, I should say, uh, people that are interested in the sector. A number of them have been mentioned uh, here. Women in 3D printing is certainly also one of them, um, uh, but there's, uh, there's many others. Um, we, As Materialise, we have put a wealth of material also on our website. So obviously you can also uh, always go and check out our website. Um, so materialize.com. Um, and materialise is with an S. Um, so uh, so it's really easy to find um but you know to to get engaged very specifically uh in uh, solutions for this covid crisis covid-19 crisis um you can also send us an email um so we will respond to you if you want to get engaged or if you're just looking for help um advice uh, etc because as i said um in this crisis uh, we all need to collaborate um partner um because at the end of the day that's the best and fastest way to help all help all the patients uh, around the world
0: maxine any final advice
3: um so firstly um my recommendation for um anyone who wants to safely and responsibly develop devices or equipment for local health services and systems um again i think make sure that um you're aware about the relevant technical specifications and guidance that have been that have come out from the government about medical devices and ppe but also it really really comes down to trying to understand who your end user is um, and how you can best um, help them and best serve them, and that might involve liaising directly with hospital trusts to try to better understand what their needs are, um, so that you can design something that um, does fulfil their needs, um, or indeed to work with or contact campaigns like Med Supply Drive UK that are led by medics um, and where. We have a wealth of experience with dealing with frontline healthcare workers directly and responding directly to frontline healthcare workers' appeals. Um, through the MedSupply Drive UK website, we do have a, a research and development section, which um, is a summary of useful and relevant scientific evidence that's been compiled by the medics and scientists within our organization. Um, that is relevant to PPE or relevant to materials that are used for the design of PPE. And I think that this is a really helpful resource for anyone who would like to find out a little bit more about this. Um, And of course, for anyone who wants to find out more about joining our initiative or just want to get in touch, um, then they can go to our website www.medsupplydrive.org.uk and contact us through there.
0: As we now bring this discussion to a close, I would just like to take this time to thank Kadeen James, Kate Hammer, Maxine Chan and Brigitte Devett for joining us for this panel discussion. For more resources and expert insights on the safe and regulated 3D printing response to coronavirus, make sure you visit 3D MedNet at www.3dmednet.com. This has been 3D Med Talks, hosted and produced by Georgie Macon and curated in collaboration with Kadeen James and Women in 3D Printing. If you would be interested in working with 3D MedNet for a podcast or similar project, please feel free to email me for more information at g.macon 3DMedNet.com.